Thank you, Brother Paul, for reading Genesis chapter 2 to us. And Genesis chapter 2 chronicles what happens before sin entered the human race. Genesis chapter 2 was paradise. Genesis chapter 2 was heaven on earth. Genesis chapter 2, we had a perfect environment, perfect living conditions. Genesis chapter 2, have a perfect love relationship with God. Can you imagine that? Nothing in our way with God. Perfect fellowship with God. And Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect fellowship with one another for a season. But verse 17 of chapter 2, let me just read it for us again, ends with a curse. Genesis chapter 2, 17 says this, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. And we know in the next chapter, Chapter 3, the Lord chronicles and and records how Adam and Eve fell and disobeyed the Lord. And sin was introduced into the human race. Why? For For in the day that you eat from it, this is the curse, you will surely die. Adam and Eve didn't die immediately, but they would eventually die. And throughout that time, death has become a normal part of life. Death has become something that we expect and accept. We know this. I mean, no matter what culture, what time, what era in the history of the world, death has been part of our, of our existence. We know this. And in particular during this COVID season, I mean, we've seen death and we've talked about death. Uh, me serving as a pastor now, been able to serve as a, uh, in funerals and, and care for family members, uh, been able to visit family members who are close to death, and what a precious and sacred space that is. Even as a coach, I remember just visiting people on our staff, you know, up in Seattle during my time there, my seven years on the staff, three people passed away on our staff, three people. And it was interesting as we went to go visit these folks, what did they talk about? If they were Christians, they talked about the relationship with Christ and encouraged them, yes, Lord has you, Lord will keep you, Lord is our good shepherd, he'll never let you go, he'll walk you through this. And if, even if they weren't Christians, they would talk about their relationship with family members, friends, close friends. Rarely, if ever, if I could even remember, did they ever talk about their accomplishments? And some of these men were highly accomplished people. Accomplishments, I don't think they, we've talked about their abilities and their talents. We didn't talk about that. It was irrelevant at that point. It really didn't matter at that point. At that point, how can we look into eternity together with some hopefulness? That's what we're focusing in on. And it was, for me, it was a sober reminder of what ultimately matters. You know, it was a reminder, how's my life with Christ, and how's my relationship with my wife, my children, my church, my family and friends, the teammates and and the coaches I was working with, that's what matters. And it was also a sober reminder that someday I will be in that situation someday. And all of us are gonna be in that situation someday, unless the Lord returns. We're gonna be in that moment. And in that moment, history will like to teach us many things. All we have to do is look to people who we've seen go into eternity. Those are the things that matter. Those are the things that matter. And why do I go into all this? Is this the Corinthians, the church in Corinth, 
was consumed with other things. Paul needed to get to the essence of what the Christian life is about. It's about love. Because they're more consumed with their accomplishments. They're more consumed with spiritual gifts and have elevating certain gifts that they had over others. They're more concerned with, with relationships that brought them more status. They missed it. They're missing it. Relationships. And Paul was trying to get them more heavenly minded. Okay, what's going to matter in eternity? And perhaps the Lord has a word for us today, helping us to get us more heavenly minded so that we'll be more earthly good. Someone once said this, I forget who said this, it says, you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. I guess in a sense we understand what he means, meaning we could have our head in the clouds and come, oh, I guess I don't have to do anything. God's have everything decided and I'll be in heaven too someday with him. I think the opposite is true. The more heavenly minded we are, the more urgency we're going to have for this life and invest in areas that's going to matter into heaven. I think it's the other way around, actually. So today, Paul is going to give us the essence of the Christian life. Love. Love is the essence of the Christian life. And Paul's going to begin with a statement. He's going to say this, love never fails. And the three points that we're going to just uh, talk about just so you can follow along a little bit more easily is this. How, how is love eternal is the question that we're going to an- answer. Because heaven is eternity there. Okay, number one, the three points are going to be this. Love outlasts spiritual gifts. And we'll cover these if you don't get it right here. Number two, love outlasts this life. Number three, love outlasts spiritual convictions, spiritual convictions, okay? So let's go into our first point. How is love eternal? Point number one, love outlasts spiritual gifts. Let me read verse eight for us again. Love never fails, the Bible says. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. Love never fails. In essence, love will always be relevant. Love will never be inactivated. Love will never leave us. Love transcends this era unto the next. Love will enter into eternity with us because love is in heaven. Bible says God is love. God is love. Love will stand the test of time. This is the issue here. Paul is trying to get the Corinthians' eyes heavenward. Like, what's going to matter in heaven? Should you not focus in on these things? Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. I believe these are the certain spiritual gifts that were highlighted in Corinth. And this is obviously not an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts. Meaning, if you're joining us, we believe that the Bible teaches that every single Christian, every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift to serve the local church, to serve the the body of Christ globally as well. In prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, I believe Paul's is grouping a category of spiritual gifts, like meaning all spiritual gifts are represented by prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. And obviously spiritual gifts are absolutely essential. This is critical that we exercise our spiritual gifts. Without the spiritual gifts, we wouldn't be able to serve one another, help each other, to edify and grow one another. And 
prophecy, just a, just a quick review. What is prophecy, you may be asking? What is this that the pastor is talking about? Prophecy is, in essence, the ability to speak for God. You're going to be able to speak divine revelation for God. And perhaps prophecy at times has a predictive element, too, as well. Tongues, what is this? This is the supernatural ability, minimally, to speak some known earthly languages. Meaning, during this time, Christianity is spreading, and there wasn't Google Translate, there wasn't different translations floating around. So some people were given supernatural ability to speak different dialects and different known human languages. Tongues could also perhaps be a heavenly language. Okay? Which we'll get, dive into more next uh, chapter. But knowledge, what is knowledge? Knowledge is more than just information that you pass on. Knowledge is a divine truth about who God is. Knowledge is what we're talking about, how to know more about God. And, and Paul says this, prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will be done away with. They will cease even, he says. It's going to be irrelevant. It's gonna, these things are going to be inactivated someday. And so the Corinthians were putting so much onus onto these areas and missing the boat on love. Paul's basically saying, hey, you're investing in something that's gonna, not going to last into eternity. So the first point is this. Love outlasts spiritual gifts in, in, clear term, in no unclear, unclear terms. Paul, Paul's making the emphasis. Love, that's where we need to be at. Gifts are critical now, but without love, it doesn't matter. Point number two, how is love eternal? Love outlasts this life. Love outlasts this life. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? You think about it here. You know, you, your children ask you, what are spiritual gifts for? What would you say? We need to understand this so to help connect the dots here to explain why love will outlast spiritual gifts and this life. 1 Corinthians 4, 20, 14, 26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, let all be done for edification. Everything that we do, whether whatever gifts that we be given is to build up one another, right? To help each other become more like Christ. To serve one another, to build up each other. Because we're not there yet, obviously. We're not in heaven yet. And in this lifetime, we need all the help we could get. Christianity is, is, a, is a team sport here. All right, it's not an individual event where we're doing this on our own. We need one another and to serve one another to grow as a Christian on this side of eternity. So cr gifts are critical. But right here, verse 9 and 10, love outlasts this life. This is verse 9. Let me read verse 9 first. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. All right, what does that mean? Today, we don't know everything yet about God and about heaven. We don't know everything. We know what we know, what we've been given through the scriptures. This is what we know. But we don't know everything yet. And this is what Paul is saying. Listen, Corinthians, although we know much, we don't know anything yet. <laughs> We're just starting to scratch the surface of who God is. However, what we do know through the scriptures is completely reliable, completely trustworthy, but wouldn't you like to know more? I mean, this, there's some mysteries that we don't quite understand. Verse 10, it says this, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The partial will be done away, meaning 
our partial understanding of Christ, our partial stage of where we're at as development as Christians will be done away with. Someday this life that as we know it's going to be done away with. But when the perfect comes, what does that mean, the perfect? This, was, this took a lot of work here. This took some digging to, to understand what the perfect is. I'll give you some options that some really credible commentators give. One is that the perfect is the completion of the scriptures. New Testament, Old Testament. Okay, that, some people believe that is the perfect. All right. Some people believe that the perfect is Christ when he returns. The second coming of Christ. Actually, my opinion and my conviction is that the perfect is a stage in our Christian development. When we're complete, another word for perfect is completion, complete. When we're complete in Christ, when we're up in heaven, all these other things, knowledge or prophecy, these spiritual gifts, our partial knowledge will be upgraded to complete knowledge of God. And in that day, we will be transformed, the Bible says. And so Paul, let me, let me explain a little bit more through Paul's two illustrations that he gave. He gives us two illustrations. Paul's a master teacher. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. I mean, we understand this. This is a stage in life when we're children, particularly those who are, have children or are teachers or young children. We understand this. Children can only handle so much because their development, their understanding is limited. It's still formative. Right? We get this. We understand why children or babies have baby talk. We understand this. We're not going to get mad at a child if they're speaking like a child. We get this. We even understand when a child thinks and reasons like a child. That's illogical. We're not going to tell them that. Well, you're being a child. You're hungry and, and, and you're tired. We get it. This, these are the things that you care about, right? So any parent understands this. But, the, but Paul takes it to the next stage. But when I, uh, it says, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. So what Paul's basically saying, when his, when his spiritual maturity comes to completion, he's going to do away with things of this life. When he begins to mature in his understanding, in this spiritual stage of development, when he's completed in Christ, he's going to do away with these things. Verse 12 right here was very helpful to understand. Really, verse 12 really was the key verse to help me to understand what the perfect is. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. Paul, in that time in Corinth, 2,000 years ago, they had mirrors. And in Corinth, they had a mirror industry. And what they did was they polished bronze. So you could see an image of, uh, of yourself in the mirror. It was a good image. It was reliable. This is what I look like. But was it as clear as it could have been? No. So as this were, in some sense, today we have this polished bronze as we look at the scriptures about try to find out who Christ is we have we have an understanding of who Christ is completely reliable completely trustworthy but is it as clear and complete as it's going to be absolutely not let me go on here but then right now we have a mirror but then in the next life but then face to face right now I know in part in that mirror but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. When we see Christ face to face in the next life, we will know him completely. Right? 
And I'll appreciate those who have a hunger for the word of God. And we, love, we want to encourage studying the word. We want to encourage biblical preaching and teaching. We want to encourage just studying the original language and to understand what the word of God is saying. We definitely want to encourage that. Because this is what we have for now. Right? And thank God that we have this for now. Because there was a time where they did not have this. We have the Bible for now. But as I think about it, we, Charlotte and I visited some teachers this week, and we have to pray for them and thank them for their hard year that they put into committed, as they committed to caring for the children. I mean, these, these teachers, I mean, you, you understand what I'm talking about, our guests from Don Julian. I mean, they're working three jobs if not more. One was just a regular teaching, kind of interfacing with students. Number two is teaching and managing an online community. Number three was scrambling to learn the technology. I mean, it just amazes me the commitment that the teachers made for their students. Incredible. I'm just blown away and just really inspired by this. So much work to make sure that teaching is happening even during this kind of this online season, this COVID season, you know. But every teacher would know this. As good as Zoom is, as good as online is, this is what we had for now, right? Just like that. We, just like we have the Bible for now. There's nothing compared to being in class with your students. We know this. I mean, I can't even imagine coaching on Zoom. I mean, that's what the, my coaching friends were saying. They had to coach up their team through Zoom. I, I can't even imagine that. But they got it done. And, but it's nothing quite like seeing each other. I mean, even as I'm preaching right now, I'm able to see your eyes. I'm able to feel things back and forth. There is a, there is an engagement that's taking place between the church family, even with me right now. I get that. That, there's nothing quite like that. So this is what the perfect is. When we see the perfect one, we will be completed. When we see Christ face to face, we're going to do it. We're not going to be carrying the Bible around up in heaven. That's not going to be happening. We're staring at the living word. We're listening to the living word. We're not going to need this, this, this uh, Bible anymore as, as much as we love it. The one that we're reading about, we're going to see in person. So when does this happen for Christians? This is a word of encouragement. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When does this happen? Well, upon death. We believe. We don't believe in things such as soul sleeping. A thought is this. Some some people believe that when you die, you're buried in the grave and your soul is sleeping until Christ returns. We don't believe this. We believe what 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, absent from the body, present with the Lord. That means that your loved ones who are in Christ, Christian loved ones who have died, they're in the presence of the Lord right now. Isn't that super encouraging? Isn't that the hope that we long for to be with Christ? No matter what their biblical knowledge was on earth, they could have been great theologians or they could have been young Christians, whatever the level of maturity they had. Right now, they're greater theologians than all of us. 
because they're staring at the face of Christ. They know Christ at an intimate level right now. That They, they could explain things to us that would uh, blow our minds away. They could even explain these things to us. I know it's been a tough year for many of us. Some of us lost parents. Some of us lost spouses, relatives, best friends. If they're in Christ, what a hope. They're in the presence of the Lord. I know we feel bad, but don't feel bad for them. I think, I think the part that we feel is perhaps that we miss them. I think that's a legitimate grieving for sure. But they're in Christ. They're in the presence of the Lord. No more pain. No more suffering. No more confusion. Perhaps you've been taking care of someone that's been struggling with their memory. No more memory issues. They're, they're staring at the face of Christ right now. Heaven. Really, this message on love, this final portion message of love is a message on eternity. This is why we started talking about death. This is why we started talking about what happens when we die. This is important as Christians that we understand we have a clear conviction, the clear hope that lies within us. What is going to happen when we die? This is critical that we understand this. And if any of us are living when the Lord returns, there will be, I believe that the Bible teaches in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15, there will be a rapture. There will be an event where the Lord will call us up to be with him. We don't know when that's going to happen. But if and when, whenever that happens, if we're alive at that moment, or if we passed on into glory, this is what's going to happen here. I'm going to read Revelation 22. We're going to take a little sneak peek into heaven here. Revelation 22, almost at the end of the Bible. Let's read verse, verse 3, 4, and 5. Just the three verses to kind of set our minds on eternity here. Verse 3 says this, There will no longer be any curse. That curse that we talked about in Genesis two seventeen. No longer any curse. That means there's no longer any death. No longer any more sin to deal with. No more hurts. No more suffering. No more. No more curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants, that's us, will serve him. We get to serve God. We're going to be with him in his presence. Verse 4. They will see his face. There it is. 1 John 3, 2 says this, when we see him, we will become like him. In that moment, we will be complete in our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And the verse 4 says this, and his name will be on their foreheads. What does that mean? That's ownership. That means God is putting a stamp on us and saying, he is mine, she is mine. Family. Verse 5 says, and there will be no longer any night. Night representing 
darkness, not knowing, okay? I believe that's talking about not knowing. And there will not be any need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God, Jesus Christ, will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. Meaning Christ will shed any darkness in our minds about who He is. He is going to be the source of revelation directly from Him now. And in that moment, in the next life in heaven, we're going to be changed. And that's when the perfect happens. Our perfect state. So in that day, I'll be out of a job. There'll be no need of a preacher. Any evangelist, missionaries, there'll be no more uh, missionary work to be done because we're all saved. We all have perfect knowledge. There'll be no more gifts of compassion. You, you know why? There's no suffering. There'll be no more need for hospitality gifts. You know why? Because we're all family. We're all together now. None of us are strangers. Hospitality carries the idea of welcoming a stranger. We'll we'll be known, the Bible says. We'll know each other as well. There'll be no more need of tongues. Why? Because we speak the same heavenly language. We're going to be speaking the same thing. I could go on and on and on, right, about the various gifts. We're not going to need any of these gifts. That's just for this life. And the Bible says, in that day, we're going to be perfect. A sinless existence. Okay? Let me just finish up with this final point here. How is love eternal? Love outlasts spiritual convictions. Convictions. Let me read the last verse here. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 13. Back in 1 Corinthians, brothers and sisters. But now faith, hope, love. Abide these three, remain in these three, Paul writes. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are important. But Bible says the greatest of these is love. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11 to give us a description, a definition of what faith and hope are. Okay, Faith and hope are tied together. One leads to the other. If you have faith, you have hope that comes with it. Uh, for, uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith, in, another, in other words, is you believe. You believe. You trust. You trust. You trust in somebody, something. We trust in Jesus Christ. And with that trust, we have hope of this perfect happening. We have hope that we'll be in heaven with our Lord someday. This is what we all long for. This is what every single Christian is hanging on for. This is what allows the difficulties of this life to, uh, to, for us to allow to move with hopefulness and, and optimism. This is not some kind of a humanistic hope or some kind of a blind optimism. We have faith in Christ. Therefore, we could have hopefulness in everything that we do. I was talking to some shepherds this morning. Some difficult challenges take place. And it's, it's important to acknowledge these difficult things, but there's hope in it. God is doing something in it. Even in our trials, there's hopefulness. Even in the sickness, there's hopefulness. Even in relational hurts, there's hopefulness. Something good is going to happen. Because we believe in God. 
We trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, securing our eternity. But we know that there's something more. You know, we know that there's something more. And, but why does the Bible say that love is the greatest of these? Why does the Bible say that? Why would you say that and agree with Paul when he says, but the greatest of these is love? Think about eternity now. It's, we've been in an eternal mindset right now this whole time. We're, we're kind of floating in heaven right now, okay? Are we going to need faith in heaven? Do we need to hope in heaven? No. The object of our faith and our hope will be realized at its fullest at that point. We'll be staring at the object of our faith. We'll be living out the hope that God is talking about. So in that point, we don't need faith. Faith goes by the wayside. Hope goes by the wayside. Right? We're living it. We're in paradise now. We're back to having perfect fellowship with God and with one another now. Everything that the Bible promises to happen is going to be realized in that moment, in that day. Therefore, love is the greatest of these because it continues on. It goes on and on and on and on and on. Perfect love relationship with God, perfect love relationship with one another. I'm just going to read two verses here. Some of my favorite Bible verses, John 17, uh, 24 and 26. I'm going to skip 25. 24 and 26. Two Bible verses here. This is what Jesus was praying for before he went to the cross. What was Jesus trying to accomplish? John 17. We get into a glimpse into his mind and his heart as this is what he was praying to the Father before he went to the cross. This is what Jesus wants to accomplish. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, Christians, be with me. Jesus wants to be with you and me, brothers and sisters in Christ, where I am, so that they may see my glory. There it is again. Seeing Christ's glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Let's jump to, down to verse 26. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love, here it is, so that the love with which you love me, same type of love that the Father has for Jesus Christ, same divine Trinitarian love, may be in them. And I in them. This type of love is mind-blowing. Jesus desires for us to experience the same type of love that he's enjoyed with the Father for eternity. Can you imagine that? This type of love is indescribable. So can you see? We're just staring at a bronze, piece of bronze polished right now. I can't even imagine what that's like. But the Bible says it's going to happen. If Jesus prays for it, it's going to happen. We're staring right now. Even as you're hearing me preach, we're staring at a mirror polished. But someday that mirror is going to be replaced for the actual person. 
and we're going to be with him. So I hope this encourages us in a lot of ways. If you're in Christ, this is what we look forward to. I think it's important to think upwards and to think about heaven, think about eternity. This kind of keeps this life in perspective. The difficulties, the joys, all right, they're hard. This makes me happy. But in the end, it's not going to matter. What's going to matter into eternity? Love, love for Christ, love for one another. This is what's going to matter. So you might as well invest in something that's going to keep on going. No, None of us would invest in a stock that's going to end a month from now. You're going to keep investing in something, long-standing things that's going to keep going on and on and on. And the Bible says that love is, that love is it. I'm going to finish up here in, in, in conclusion here. Although love is the greatest of these... The Bible says the love is the greatest of these in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. We believe this. Remember this, brothers and sisters and friends here. Faith and hope precede love. Meaning without faith and hope, you cannot, we do not experience this type of love. We don't. We don't. Because it's going to all end. And we're going to end with it. Without Christ, we enter eternity without God. And without with one another, First Thessalonians five says this: that no one knows the time of Christ's return. Nobody knows. Bible says that He comes like a thief in the night. When you least expect it, Christ is coming back. And those who aren't believers, who do not have faith and hope, end up in destruction. That's what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, another letter written by Paul, says this, those who are not believers end up in eternal destruction, separated from the presence of the Lord and from his glory. Think about this. What is hell going to be like? This is what hell is going to be like. Think of anything that's good in your life right now. Friendship, relationship, the warm sun, you enjoy something good to eat. The Bible says all good and perfect things are from the Lord. Think about that now. Think about that. In that moment, if you're not in Christ upon death, you're separated. Instead of seeing him face to face, you're separated from the Lord. And everything that's good associated with the Lord, you're separated from. It's just you now. You're not, we're not going to be hanging out with your friends You're not going to be having this big social event for eternity alone. Darkness. This is eternal destruction. Separated from the goodness and glory of the Lord. So my question to you today is this. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? This is critical that we understand this. Do you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, which leads to a certain hope in Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. Do you have a genuine faith? Perhaps you've been coming here for years and years and years. Church attendance doesn't give you a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have many Christian friends. That doesn't give you a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you live morally. Perhaps you live a pretty outstanding life. You could be trustworthy. That doesn't give you a faith in Jesus Christ. 
Perhaps you know the Bible. You've polished this piece of bronze off really well. You, you understand it pretty well, but you don't actually believe it. You don't have a faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me just offer this up. Romans 10, 9 says this. Paul, another letter written by Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? What this means is making Jesus Lord means this. I repent. I turn away from my sinfulness. I turn away from following after myself. And I'm going to give you my life, Jesus. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, as my Lord. Your Lord Jesus, you own me. No Jesus is an oxymoron. Yes, Lord, is what makes sense if Jesus is your Lord. You obey him. Do you see the fruit of obedience in your life? Obviously not perfectly, but do you have a pattern, a trend in your life where you're looking to obey Christ, Jesus, as your Lord? Jesus, in his own words in Matthew 16, says this, Deny yourself. Pick up or take up your cross and follow me. This is a follow. This is a genuine believer of Jesus Christ, someone who denies themselves. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to die to myself. And what? Follow you. That is a genuine believer. He goes on to say in that chapter, you have to lose your life to find it. It's not, right? Lou, give up your life to gain your life. He even exhorts and says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Every accomplishment, every riches, every accolade. Yet forfeit your soul. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior? What does that mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, the sinless one, God himself became a man. He died for my sins. He paid the price for my sin. He gave up the ransom to buy me back out of the penalty of sin. Do you believe this and that you believe that he rose from the dead? Do you believe this? Well, if you do, you're in Christ. And you have this hope to look forward to. You have eternity to look forward to. We're looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face someday. If you honestly, if you're sitting there right now thinking, I don't believe this. If you're thinking this right now, you don't have this hope. And why are we talking about this in the chapter of love? I can't think of anything more loving than to encourage the saints, but also encourage those who aren't in Christ to come into Christ. What else matters in the end? What else matters? So church family, brothers and sisters, those of us in Christ, look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ with as many people as you can before we enter into the next life. Let's put aside all other distractions. (laughs) Let's put all aside all of the things that are irritating us. And let's be singularly focused on preaching the gospel. What else matters? That is love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to uh, preach your word. Thank you for this incredible 
incredible masterpiece out of 1 Corinthians 13. Thank you for Paul writing about love. We know in this chapter he's trying to get the Corinthians to think rightly, to act rightly, to have a right attitude towards you and towards one another. But Lord, 2,000 years later, we profit from this teaching. I thank you that we have your written word. I thank you and praise you that you have given us revelation through your written word that we could trust. Although we may not quite understand everything clearly, we understand enough. It's clear enough and it's absolutely trustworthy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray for anyone in here that's really experienced loss of loved ones, Lord, during this season recently and even in the past. Father, I pray for comfort for them right now. I pray, Lord, that their, the faith that their loved ones had in you would encourage them, Lord, that they are truly in a better place because of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be more heavily minded thinking about what would matter in the end and throughout eternity. Help us to keep love at the forefront of our minds and hearts. Transform us in in this life. Help us to see you more clearly through your written words so that we will love more like you. Sanctify us, Lord. Help us polish off that bronze so that we could see you more clearly in the written word. Father, I thank you for this Lord's Day as we get to take communion to remember you, your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who gave us his life. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, this would unify us even more. This will grow our love for you more and for one another as we affirm to you and to one another at the same time that we believe in you, that we have hope in you, Lord. Please produce a greater love in us. Lord, as we prepare to take this communion, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you be with Pastor Terry. Help us, to sh- help him to shepherd the church family well as he guides us and leads us in this communion time. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.